Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. Uh, Before we get going, I will answer the question that's all in your mind. Did you get that from your father's closet? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I did take this from my dad's closet. He's a dentist and he wears Hawaiian shirts every um, day he works. He says it doesn't show the blood. Um, But I took this little number out of his closet uh, because I love the Vikings and the Vikings play the Packers. But I will say I'm also a Browns fan. Come on. And the reason is because my Viking, uh, the reason that I'm a Browns fan is because the Cleveland's, Cleveland Indians play the Twins. The Bengals are irrelevant. The, um, the, Buckeyes, the Buckeyes play the Gophers, and I love football, so I chose the Cleveland Browns, and hopefully they'll be good this year. But my name is uh, Trig Veeker. I'm the Groups and Outreach Director here at Movement Church. If you haven't met me, I would love to get to know you. Um, and I love this church. Now, that's something that I would have said a year and a half ago when I first walked in here on a Sunday morning uh, because I loved the people that I worked with uh, and I loved the mission that we were on. But now I can really say that I love this church because I love all of you. Like, I've really gotten to know so many of you guys uh, through this first year, through biblical community on Sunday mornings, through our movement groups on, uh, throughout the week. And I love this church because I love the people that are part of this church. And uh, that is the reason that we just showed that video. It's just one of those ways that we can communicate it in another creative way, how important it is to be a part of biblical community. People that are pushing you in your faith Uh, walking with Christ. And we can't do this alone. And that's why we meet on Sunday mornings. That's why we do groups. That's why we serve together. Um, And at Movement Church, we say that our groups follow three pillars. We say that our groups are family. We say that our groups are servants. And we say that our groups are missionaries. And the first one, family, uh, we acknowledge is kind of a big word. Like, how can you expect that out of the people in your church? But we really believe that uh, being a family is about being committed to one another in the mess. And we recognize that our groups are not a place for superficial fake community, but a place for people to actually develop organic relationships within the church uh, and that are willing to get into people's messy lives with them. And so we just encourage you this morning, if that's something that God's put on your heart, even if it's not something that God has put on your heart, he has designed you to live in community uh, with his people. Which is why I love that our lead part. Uh, Pastor Mark Artrip started last week by talking about our DNA and prioritizing our presence here on Sunday mornings. Because like I said, we can't do this alone and commitment comes before community, he also reminded us. And when we take those steps in faith, it takes effort and sacrifice and most importantly, commitment to receive that blessing that comes with being a bought-in member of this church. And this isn't some marketing scheme, he reminded us, but it's a promise that we see in scripture that when we commit to his church, we commit to his people, we commit to its mission, its movement, God will bless that. You will be blessed. That's a promise. And so no matter who you are or where you have been in this journey, whether you have a million questions or you've been following Jesus for some time now, you have a place in God's kingdom, but more importantly, you have a place I guess it's less importantly, but you do have a place here at Movement as well. 
And we want you to feel welcome here, but we also want you to connect with people outside of Sunday mornings. And this is a good segue to where we're going to be going this morning, which is talking about biblical community. Paul writes this letter to Titus, uh, which is going to start on page 917 in your Bibles. That's where we're going this morning, page 917. And he talks about what it looks like to be this new household, this new family of God in biblical community. Now we're going to start in chapter 2. And we're actually going to read through all of chapter two, but we're going to start in verse 11. Um, Paul says this, Titus chapter two, page 917 in verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. But we look forward to the hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things, Titus, and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Now, the reason I start in verse 11 is this one word for. When I was in uh, graduate school, they always made this joke. Whenever you see for, mainly in Paul's letters, or therefore in Paul's letters in the New Testament, you ask the question, what is it there for? Right? Some of you guys have heard that. You're nodding with me. And the reason that this word for is there is that these verses right here are the reason for the verses that we're about to unpack. And the reason is God's amazing and wonderful grace shown to all believers through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And as the text tells us to free us from every kind of sin and to make him, make us his very own people. This is the reason that we do everything we do here at Movement Church. This is the reason. It informs everything that we do. Now, why would Paul use this language, evil world? Obviously, we know that our world is broken, but there's something specific going on here. Now, this letter is written by Paul the Apostle to a friend named Titus. Titus was a Greek Christian, and Titus was a close friend, and he was obviously trusted by Paul. And so Paul sends him on a little bit of a missionary journey to the island of Crete, which is the largest island off of the coast of Greece. And what his mission is, is to restore order and to teach people what it means to be followers of Jesus, followers of the way in this really broken world, this really broken society that we'll see in Crete. See, because Cretan culture was completely bonkers. It was notorious for many things, and most of them were not good things. In fact, the the Greek word kretizo, which means to be a Christian, was synonymous with to be a liar, It was like a four-letter word back then. You didn't necessarily have to live on the island of Crete to be called Cretizo. But it's like calling someone the B word today. Everyone knows what you mean when you say it. And so their culture had been so inundated with this ideal of deceit and lying that that had become their identity. But not only that, that, but even for this crazy Greco-Roman world at the time, this island was known for being unsafe, it was plagued by violence, and it was also known for sexual corruption. Now, going back to the deceit part, the reason that it was known for its deceit was it was most importantly known, this island, for its worship to the Greek god Zeus. Now, Zeus, to get ahead and 
common folklore back then would oftentimes deceive people. In fact, he would oftentimes deceive other goddesses to get in bed with them. And so that's what they reflected. And here's the truth there is no matter what you worship, that is also what you will reflect. And I'm not just saying what we come in here and worship on a Sunday morning, but what we worship within our lives throughout the week is the person that we will reflect. And for the Cretan people, it happened to be that they were liars because what they worship taught them that that's who they should be. And this is why in verse 12, Paul says, we should live in this evil world, but we should live in this world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. So what does living in this crazy culture look like? I wish I could tell you that we'd have to travel thousands of miles to find somebody that could actually tell us what it would look like to live in a culture like this. But unfortunately, the sad reality is that we don't have to look any farther than the person in the mirror on on, uh, Sunday morning, this morning, to find someone that understands somewhat what it's like to live in a sexually corrupt, violent, and deceitful culture. You know, 70% of men... In America, in the last month of watch pornography, 33% of women, those statistics don't change at all for people within the church. The porn industry annual revenue is more than the MLB, NFL, and NBA combined, more than NBC, ABC, and CBS combined. We shouldn't be surprised that this new sexual ethic has bled into our churches as well. Even in the churches, we've begun to blur the lines of what is appropriate and our sexual ethic has completely changed. Does the Bible really say that? Does God really mean that? Should I really not do that? Because even in the church, Christian views on marriage and sexuality can be seen as outdated or prude or even oppressive. So we can check that one off. If you're 18 years old in America, you've probably seen, if you're an average American, 200,000 acts of violence through popular media. 200,000. And I don't think I need to give us any more evidence based on our recent news cycle that we're a violent culture. Now, lastly, this is the one that hurts me the most is deceitful. Never before have polls been so high with people that distrust the people that we're supposed to trust the most in our life and in our country today. People don't trust the people that are supposed to be looking away, looking out for us as Americans. But it's not only that, but never... Never before have we also had the incentives and the ease to deceive people, to lie about ourselves, to advance ourselves in this world. Never has it been so easy, and it's called social media. Now, I know not everybody does this in this room, and not many of us don't, but, but the deception and lies on social media about who we are and what we're about have gotten so bad that many accounts have popped up. I actually found some this week. Maybe you guys know about them called Instagram versus reality. Anyone hear that? I found it this week, and I'm not here to bash the people that are on here, but what this account does is essentially takes these perfectly manicured pictures, these perfectly manicured posts, these perfect lives that all these people are portraying, celebrity or otherwise, and then compares them with a similar picture or post that is actually the reality of their life. And it's so sad, because why do we have to portray this image? We portray this image because we love fake in this culture. Fake body parts, fake pictures, fake personas, fake wealth, fake status. We love fake. 
And it grieves me to say this, but this happens in the church as well. I've had several conversations with people who have joined churches with the most beautiful websites and the perfectly manicured pictures and the wonderful greeters at the door. And they're absolutely dumbfounded when they find that there's broken people in the church just like them. They wanted the perfect church. Well, guess what? The church is a hospital where we bind the wounds of each other. It's not a place to go find perfect people. It's a place where we buy into biblical community. We say, I commit to getting in the mess with you. God doesn't do fake. And so while their culture obviously was packaged differently, its contents were probably fairly similar today. And so now the question becomes, how do we live as the church? How do we live as biblical community in this culture without becoming overcome by it? And what Paul will say is that Christianity is most compelling when it looks culturally similar, but is based on a completely different value system and devoted to a completely different God. And because of this, Paul gives Titus instructions to speak into the biblical community in the Christian church, which is where he begins at the beginning of chapter two. Paul says this, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Is that us, older men? And you women, Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach each other what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes and to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do Reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God or Savior attractive in every way. All right, we're going to take a moment to unpack this because some of this can be pretty jarring for a 21st century reader. But I think this passage primarily is important right away because never have our lives been so available for people to watch. And so let me just ask us collectively as the family of God in this room this morning, as Christ followers, what story is our life telling? Or moreover, what story is our life collectively telling about the God that we say that we worship? Is it compelling? Is it attractive? Is it filled with conviction? Do we do and do we live out what we say we believe? Because Paul is imploring the Cretan Christians, say that 10 times fast, Cretan Christians to live in a way that when people look at the way they interact with each other, they look at God's word and they say, that is attractive. 
And if people were watching the Cretan Christians back then, then how much more are people watching us today? The microscope is hot. I went to a Christian college and boy, the media just waited till we made one bad move so they could just point to the rest of the world. Look at these hypocrites. This is what they say they believe. And yet they don't look like that. They're imperfect. Of course, we know that. But the world is watching. Now, Paul here will start to paint an ideal picture of what an ideal household, a family of God, a biblical community who's following Jesus would look like in this cultural context. And when you first need to understand that this household back then looks nothing like it does today, oftentimes several generations, including the slaves, uh, lived in the same compound and they all ate the same food. They all had the same rights and privileges. Older men were to provide for the household needs. Older women were to take care of the household duties, which included taking care of and teaching the young children. So much so that in New Testament first century church, the older women had the highest status within the group because they took the responsibility for teaching the young boys and the young girls what it meant to live as followers of what they called back then, the way. But I know some of these verses can make us uncomfortable today because we don't like the word submission. And obviously we're gonna get to the slavery aspect of this in a minute. But I love that Paul begins with the men. He says, men in the church live with self-control, live lives worthy of respect, with wisdom filled with patience and love. And when I read that this week, as I was praying for God to get this in my heart, I had to ask myself, when I'm so frustrated because my wife isn't respecting me, Am I actually living a life filled with love and patience, a life worthy of respect? Now, obviously, I believe every human being is worthy of respect, but I think Paul's kind of poking the bear there. And so I'm asking you, older men, are you living a life that's worthy of respect? Do you relate to others with love and patience and wisdom? Because I think a lot of our problems in this culture are because men are not actually living out how God designed them to be men. We've abused our position. And then he goes on to older women. And he says, don't be gossips. Don't be drunks. Teach the younger women to be wise, to be pure, to love their husbands, to be submissive to them. In other words, for men, don't abuse your elevated status in this culture as a weapon. Be worthy of respect. And then when they start living that out, women start respecting the men. This is so far from what our culture is about right now. Toxic masculinity, radical feminism. The reason that those things exist or are fake is because of this, because we don't know how to relate to each other as men and women anymore. And so we're in this power struggle that started back in the garden between Adam and Eve. Men aren't living lives worthy of respect. They're abusing their position and their power. And then women aren't respecting uh, men that actually deserve to be respected. And Paul is saying, when you live in biblical community, the way that God has designed it, it will be so attractive that not only will no one have anything bad to say about you, but they'll look at their life and they'll worship God for it. 
There is an assault on these values today. Do you know that? A couple of weeks ago, this just illustrates my point perfectly. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I got this article sent to me from a nationally syndicated um, column that was uh, talking to this celebrity woman that was, had this revolutionary idea on what love should mean in the 21st century in America. I'm just going to read this quote to you. Blank artist, I'm not going to say her name because it doesn't matter, hates the word selfish. Quote, why are we so trained that love means putting yourself second and those you love first? If you love yourself, then what? Of course, the only answer is you come first. So that's my spiel. And then the article goes on to absolutely celebrate this idea as if it's something revolutionary. Are you kidding me? Two weeks later, I get a similar article sent by the same guy that said that this woman just divorced her husband. So how'd that work out? Now, I'm not here to bash her, but this is what we celebrate today. It's the me-centered approach to communal living. It's the me-centered approach to the way that we do community. If that church doesn't fit my needs, if those people doesn't fit my needs, if that spouse doesn't fit my needs, we'll just discard of them. That's not the way that God does community. But I think the more important question that we need to ask ourselves, me included, is what is our life together say to the world that is looking and seeing that we claim that we have the answers. Because just like many people on the island of Crete had never met a Christian before, so, so many people in our lives have never met true biblical community. And you never know who you're going to be around or the story that your life will tell, the story that our life will tell. Which is why Paul concludes with an absolutely jarring illustration In verse nine, slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive in every way. Now, let me unpack this because the first question becomes, is Paul advocating for slavery? And the short answer is no. Let me give you a couple examples why. Well, first, there's another book in the Bible called Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner, and Paul writes to him, and he has a wayward slave named Onesimus. And you know what he says to Philemon after he becomes a Christian? He says, now you treat Onesimus as a brother, not as a slave. But beyond that, slaves back then, they had all the rights that the same family had. It, weren't, it wasn't race-based. It was, uh, it was generally because people either had to pay off a debt that they owed or because they were of the lower status. Now, now the Bible does not, uh, 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 does, does not um, obviously have the context that we have in our memories of race-based American slavery, which is one of the worst atrocities in human, con- uh, human history. And again, this, the, the author is not advocating for slavery, but what he is trying to communicate is that their witness to their masters is more important than anything in their life. Let me give you another, uh, another uh, illustration of how God uses even the most horrid atrocities in our world to communicate his good news to people. There was a group of American missionaries who went out to reach unreached people groups in, in Africa. 
Unreached people groups are people that have never heard about God. They've never heard about the Bible. They lived out in the African bush. And when the American missionaries got there, they obviously realized that their culture was completely different. And for hundreds of years, they had been practicing female circumcision. I'm not gonna go into details on what that is, but it's horrid. It's not only unhealthy, but it's immoral. And when they got there, they realized that they couldn't just come in and say, this is what you need to do. You need to stop all these things. I know that you've been doing this for a hundred years, but you need to just stop. Now, what they did was they started to create ways that that practice could be more healthy as they developed a relationship with these indigenous people. And then they started reducing the number of women that were actually having this done to them. And then eventually, I'm sure it got to the point where there was very few, if any, women that were having this practice done to them. But in that duration of time, they had built up a relationship and God used those really unjust and immoral circumstances to provide a way where they could build a relationship and they could start to see the gospel living out through these people. And so Paul says, even if you're a slave, even if you're in the worst circumstance in your entire life, it does not give you an excuse to stop living out the gospel. Wow. You mean even if I'm owned by another human being? That's horrible. I still have to be Jesus to that person. And it happens. I read a book in in college by Frederick Douglass, amazing American man, African-American who was a slave. And by his faith, some of his masters came to Jesus. This is hard stuff we got to wrestle through. More reason why we need each other to start interpreting this stuff and making sense of it. But what I think is even more amazing is that we live in a culture where it's all about your best life. Live your best life. Be the best you. Be the best possible version of yourself. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is about a life of meaning and purpose, not about a life of the best you, whatever the cost is. In fact, so much so that Paul says in Philippians 4 that I have found the secret of being content in this life, even when I'm falsely thrown into prison, even when I'm uh, beaten, even when I'm slandered, even when people say horrible things about me and try to kill me. And the secret to being content for him was living out this gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do, this biblical community starts to stir in the hearts of unbelievers, which is why the crux of this passage is verse five, verse eight, and verse 10, which says, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Verse eight, then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. In verse 10, then they will make the teacher about our God and Savior attractive in every way. The gospel takes precedence over everything. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a little girl's birthday party. I'm friends with her parents. I, if, if, what if I just said that? Like, I went to a little girl's birthday party. They're like, you should probably get off the stage. Um, But a few weekends ago, I went to a little girl's birthday party and a lot of friends and family were there. And it was amazing. It was a couple in our church 
And I didn't know where all these people were coming from, their backgrounds, what their beliefs were, uh, but it was awesome. And before the party even got going, there's about 30 people around. They got their daughter up and they blessed her and they prayed over her and they spoke life into her. And they said, I see this in you. I see this in you. You're a wonderful woman, little woman of God and all these things. And immediately as this was going on, these wheels are turning into my head. Because I know she has a relationship with her brother and her brother's married to another man and they obviously don't have the same beliefs and they're unapologetic about who they are as Christ followers. And so I got curious about it and I went up to her and we're close friends with them. So I said, do I have permission to just ask you something a little deep? She said, yeah. I said, tell me a little bit about your relationship with your brother. You seem to have such a great relationship with your brother. She said, it's been one of the hardest parts of being a Christian. One of the hardest parts of being a follower of Jesus and trying to live a biblical life. I said, can you tell me a little bit more about that? She said, I obviously want my brother to be happy. He's one of my best friends. I see the way that he loves his partner and it really starts jarring inside my flesh. So much so that my brother, he asked if my children could be in his wedding and I had to say no. And in that moment, I thought, this is one of the hardest times that I've had to be a believer. I didn't sign up for this. But she said, I had to stand in my convictions. I love my brother, but I don't stand for that. And I want to support my brother. And it's one of the few times I've seen them balance this this love and conviction and, and living out the truth because she told me this next. She said during the engagement of her brother and now his partner, he came to her and he said, I see the way that you and your husband live and the way that you lead your family. And and I don't know what it is, but but I would be so lucky if I had a marriage that looked like yours, if I had a family that looked like yours. Even in the worst of circumstances, when you have to stand and put a flag in the ground for Christ, your life can become a witness to those that have none of the same beliefs as you. Because in that moment, it provides an opportunity to say, because it's not about me. The reason that I have that marriage is because of Christ. The reason we lead our family this way is because of Christ. The reason that I interact with my friends like that is because of Christ. And so I looked at her and I said, so what's the, what's the key? And she said, Trig, We first and foremost answer to God in this family. We first and foremost answer to God in this church. If you're going to be a part of this community, you got to know that. If you want to be a part of movement groups, you got to know that. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you need to let live your life in a posture of humility. The saying, I answer to God first. And amazingly, in those moments, you can be so filled with the love of Christ that your brother, who shares none of the same beliefs with you, can look at you and say, that is attractive. Which is why this morning's big idea is this. That biblical community is not a strategy, but it is the calling of the people of God. Biblical community is not a strategy. It's the calling of the people of God. But here's the bad news, guys. I'm reading this this week and I'm failing at all the things that Paul is asking 
us to do. And the reason is we all fall short of this. In fact, if I got the, two, the couple that I was just talking about up here on Sunday morning, they would probably tell you they are far from perfect as well, which means we need grace. We need grace. No one can ever, leave, ever perfectly live out these roles that Paul is talking about, except for one, and his name is Jesus. And he lived a life that was actually worthy of respect. Though he got none, he lived wisely for all of his days, and yet he was mocked and even spit on. Jesus was the one that was truly filled with love and patience, even for those that would deny him on the day of his death, even for those that would nail the very nails in his hands and his feet. Jesus was the one that was truly pure, that was truly good, so pure and so good, in fact, that his purity and his goodness washed over us and makes us good and pure when we put our faith in Christ. But not before he became a slave, a slave. And he became submissive to the father's will. That's what the Bible says, even when it was difficult, even when it cost him everything. That's why even when we fail, even when we screw up, even when people say your life doesn't look anything like Jesus, even when we're trying to struggle to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, we can say, I'm not the one you're supposed to be looking at. It's him. So let's look at him. You know what one of the last things Jesus did right, right before he, he goes to his cross, he gets down on his knees like a slave. Just gets down on his knees with his disciples and he washes their filthy feet. He just washes them. I know you're going to deny me, Peter. I know you're going to run away, Thomas. I know you're going to doubt me. Let me serve you. Let me become like a slave. Let me make myself lower so that you might be higher. This is the God we worship. A God that made himself so lowly so that he could serve us. That's what it means to be in biblical community. And you know what he says right after he washes their feet? He says this, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you would love one another. Not how much Bible knowledge you know, although that's good. Not how great your career is, not, not because uh, you're, you have the status, not because you're so beautiful, not because you have this fake persona online, not because of your relationships to other people that are in positions of power. People will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And the way that you love one another is love people like Christ. And the highest, the highest calling in the kingdom of God is to become a slave. It's all over the Bible. The first book of this, the first words of this letter, Paul could have said, I'm smart. I'm wise, I can preach, I can teach. But he says, no, my name is Paul and I'm a slave of Christ. Look at verse one. Paul, 
I'm a slave of Christ. God, help us to be slaves for you. There is no higher calling. If you want to have a good marriage, get like this. If you want to have good friendships, get like this. If you want to have a good biblical community, make yourself lowly. Serve people. Fight for people. And then when it gets messy, when they have filthy feet, wash them. Don't run away. Biblical community is not a strategy. It's the calling of the people of God. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for you and your word. You've given us instructions, um, but you've also given us your son. And uh, we don't do this alone. We can't do this alone. That's why we need each other. That's why we need movement groups. That's why we need Sunday morning gatherings. But we also, we need desperately your spirit to give us the power and the wisdom to live this out. God, we love you. And it's hard to figure this out on our own. So God, bless everybody in this room right now, Lord. Bless them with a community that's not perfect, but that is following you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.